You're just going into the cuff and just sweeping it backwards and forwards. And you're seeing whether that triggers any, any, any bleeding, because that's a sign of inflammation. Welcome to the Dental Implant Podcast with your host, Pav Kara, your source of knowledge for all things relating to dental implants. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you learned something valuable. I hope. That man again, Pav Kyra, Dr. Pav Kyra, welcome back to the podcast, my friend. Uh, how are you? I'm very good, mate. How are you doing? Yeah, great. So the, it, it's Pav from the Dental Implant Podcast, uh, and I'm going to just pick your brains. You need to teach us something today, Pav. You need to speak to me like I'm five years old, because uh, this the, the following questions I'm going to ask you on this group function today uh, is very much like basic things that you're probably going to laugh at me like, Jazz, why are you asking me these, these, these basic questions? But I'm sure you, with the referring dentist that you've met and, and your colleagues, like, when it comes to implants, we come out of dental school, like a lot of other topics, and we're like, where do we even begin? So just before we dive into that, just remind everyone who, people who perhaps didn't listen to our episode on finding your niche. I think it was episode 76 from memory. Uh, do listen to finding your niche. It's, it's a cool one where we discover what is like your calling in dentistry. Uh, so do check that one out. But just remind us, what is it that you do other than these amazing transformations that you post on our Telegram group? So um, uh, thank you very much for having me on, Jazz. I'm going to be cheeky and just upload this as the next Dental Implant Podcast episode as well, do even it. though you're recording it. So. We have the same video editor, so <laughs> it's an easy episode for me. Um, firstly, I, I, I just wanted to say that there's no such thing as a, as a silly question. This is something that I learned really quite early on. Either you know or you don't know. It's really that simple. And I think anybody who doesn't know who's asking questions that at that point that then shouldn't they shouldn't feel embarrassed or anything along those lines. So um, if if I am being overly complicated with with, with my answers, please please feel free to to remind me because obviously uh, for me this is this is fairly straightforward stuff and you know when I get excited about implants that's it the mouth starts okay we, we all know that. we all know that okay you're gonna start talking about the at the cellular level biological level uh, no we're gonna go way simpler than that today I know the kind of stuff that you talk about you love that you absolutely love that and that's amazing to see though your passion is so yeah. evident I'm, I'm, but I'm going to make it really tangible for you guys as well. Um, so a little bit about me. Um, I graduated in 2002. Um, I did loads of different things. Uh, you know, I, I ended up getting bored quite quickly. It was one point I was doing endo, full smile makeovers. Uh, and ironically, I just didn't like surgery. I didn't like implants. And then I ended up getting into implants and I was like, oh, actually, I really love this a lot. Um, I'm now at a position where I am... Uh, fortunate to be at Evo Dental four days a week and I mentor other dentists and I still work at another practice one day a week as well and I place approximately 1,800 to 2,000 implants a year so that's wow. obviously quite a big number um, and uh, yeah you, you know when you when you place big numbers you, you you learn to prevent a lot of mistakes but you still see them you know anybody turns around and says to you have a hundred percent success rate. This is something that I've alluded to before. They are either lying or they're only placing one or two implants per year. Because if you place one or two implants mm -hmm. per year, it's quite easy to have a hundred percent success rate. So, um, uh, so yeah. I mean, that's just a little bit about myself. I do the, the surgical aspects of it. I also uh, undertake the the, the 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 restorative as well because you can't separate them. You know, it's uh, it's mm -hmm. they're, they're intrinsically linked together. So that you know, that, that's just that's just a little bit about me. 
Amazing. I mean, it's crazy that number you mentioned. You probably do more implants uh, than I do checkups. You probably do more implants than I do composites. You do uh, you do more implants than I do any procedure. That's that's pretty uh, spectacular. So you're totally the right man for this. So, question number one of three in this group function is: um, Can I probe that implant? Now, to give you some uh, background behind this question, it's. Um, Something that you may have heard before. Now, I don't know whether it is a myth or not, and I think it is, but let's just find out. The whole thing about if you use a metal, like a, a who probe or a CPITN, a metal probe on an implant, you will scratch the implant, which will then harbor bacteria, and there'll be a never-ending spiral of uh, peri-implantitis in the future. And therefore, uh, dentists all over the world, I'm sure they are, I'm sure they are, are um, doing their BP, and they skip the implant, and they carry on. Um, tell us about this. So the question, as I understand it, is can you probe around implants? Um, can you probe with a metal probe around implant or is it a myth that you yeah, you shouldn't, that you can't? Uh, or, or just tell us generally about how to check the periodontal health of an implant in a safe way. Okay. <laughs> Do you want me to be really unhelpful now? Because uh, the answer oh, to no. that is... no! No! Yeah. You know what I'm like. It's one of those. Okay. So the answer, to your, the answer to your question is yes, you can and no, you can't at the uh, same time. I'm going to expand on that right okay. now, okay? Sure. So... Um, I think we need to take half a step back and understand what's happening a little bit, okay? So uh, when you receive the final outcome of a, of, 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 of a let, let's just say restored single implant crown, okay? So there's a number of ways that it can be done. Um, the, the way to get the best outcome isn't done very often because it's more time consuming, it's more difficult to do, okay? So the kind of like the standard way that most people out there do it, which is kind of accepted, is you have quite a uh, a narrow implant in relation to your in relation to your ridge, which is same size, same height as the um, as, as as the alveolar crest, and then radiographically it looks like a lollipop, tomato on a stick is what it's called. So you get this <laughs> you get this sudden you get this sudden really really extreme what we call an emergence profile okay mm-hmm. now so probing around implants is different to probing around teeth okay because when you're probing around teeth you're immediately going into the periodontal ligament if you imagine you've mm-hmm. got this really wide implant uh, sorry really narrow implant or a really wide crown if you're probing straight down the side you're not actually going to do anything you almost want to be at 90 mm. degrees and it ends up being really difficult to do, okay? So in those instances, when you've got an internal connection, the implant actually needs to be deeper so you've got running room to have a natural emergence, but then you need to condition the soft tissue with a, instead of just a standard healing abutment out of the packet, you can make custom healing abutments so you get a really nice smooth transition, okay? Now, Mm -hmm. the reason why that is important is because when you've got a very acute and sudden um, uh, emergence angle, a, it becomes virtually impossible to probe to the uh, to, to the neck of the implant, but it actually mm. alters the bio uh, the, the, the bioflora, the biofilm next to the implant neck itself unfavorably. It becomes anaerobic as opposed to uh, aerobic. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you've actually snookered yourself because what you've done is you've created a situation where you need to probe, but it's actually difficult to probe. Okay, um, so the 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 other way of doing it is once you once you've once you've placed your implant deep enough, or the way that I do it is that I use 
external hex and I use quite wide implants because then well, it's I, much I'm going to stop you there, Pap, only, be, only because uh, and I think everyone's like listening, like, wow, they're like, they're like gripped by this because this is um, yeah. very interesting in terms of the different connections and how you yeah. need to have that, in a, that runway room to get the, uh, the best emergence profile. But like if I'm a GDP, and, uh, which I am, uh, and I see a patient yeah. and the implant was split, and I don't place implants, so a uh, patient comes in, they've got an implant, um, I'm not going to pause and say, okay, what kind of connection is this? And now I will, because it's, it's a great yeah. point you raise. And now I'll look at the radiograph and I'll see, okay, is this a lollipop or is this not a lollipop? Uh, and then, but, uh, you know, what, what, are we gonna, what am I going to do? Okay, fine. That's exactly the point that I was getting to. So the first thing that you do is you take a radiograph, okay? If it looks like a lollipop, there's not really much point in trying to do it because the angles that you've got to get to, the pressures that you've got to apply, you're not really going to be able to probe to, probe to the got neck it. of the implant, okay? Of now, course. it is my opinion that, you know, if you can get to the neck of the implant, you should be probing to the, ne- uh, to the neck of the implant, okay? So... You you, do, you don't want to do it too uh, uh, too aggressively. It should just be very gentle pressure, okay? Um, and what you're looking for is you're looking for the same thing as what you would do uh, when you're when you have a tooth. Is there suppuration? Is there bleeding? Okay, not so much about the depth of the probing itself. Okay, because mm-hmm. you don't have a true periodontal attachment. It's like a long junctional epithelium, so you apply much lighter pressure. You're automatically going to have pseudo pockets going uh, going deeper. But the question is: Is it bleeding? Is is there suppuration? And as I said, is if you've got this lollipop uh, type appearance, so you've got this skinny implant, all of a sudden, really, really uh, big crown on top. I don't think you can probe those uh, uh, pretty well. So why bother disturbing? Is it worth the- still probing just to check the if there's bleeding or separation? So no, I mean the the, the the test that you can do in that area is you look at your radiograph to see a uh, is, is there any bone loss around the threads. We're going to come back onto that in a minute because I know that's one of the topics. Okay, the next really 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 good test is just with a finger, just just push the 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 gingiva either side. Because if you push mm. the gingiva either side and you see suppuration coming out from one side, that's a problem. Makes sense? I see. So you're kind of like milking the implant. Yeah, massage, massage. You're milking the implant, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> yeah, so, so if, if, if you're massaging the gingiva either side and you've got bleeding or you've got pus coming out without even picking up a probe, that's a problem. That's absolutely a problem, mm-hmm. okay? So let's say, you, you, let's say you're looking at the radiograph and you get this nice transition from the implant to the crown. It just, it just looks like nice and smooth. Yeah, pick up a probe. It's not a problem. Just don't be heavy-handed with it. So what you're not trying to do is you're not trying to sound down to the neck of the implant or to the bone. All you're doing is you're just going kind of like into the cuff a little bit. You're just going into the cuff and just sweeping it backwards and forwards. And you're seeing whether that triggers any any uh, any bleeding because that's a sign of inflammation. So it's not so much probing as you're just seeing whether it triggers a, a, an inflammatory response. That's all that it is. But you, what you will notice as well is um is particularly with implants is you get this little little purpley band around the neck of the implant when in early stages of of inflammation so uh and 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 in those instances when you're looking at those purpley bands should immediately be thinking to yourself something may not be quite right here okay Mm -hmm. so i have no problems with uh uh with, with 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 people gently probing if you could use a plastic probe that's better you've got a metal probe you know there's there's not too much data to to go in between because it swings and roundabouts if you don't probe you don't know what the problem 
problem is if you do probe, but you probe too hard, you're going to scratch, scratch things. You're unlikely to get to the neck of the implant, or you shouldn't be able to get to the neck of the implant. Um, I think it also comes into play what restorative material has been used as well. Okay, So without going too much into it, there is a very good researcher called Thomas Linkovicius. He has done um, a fantastic textbook called Zero Bone Loss Concepts. He teaches on it. And the restorative protocol that he uses highly polishes zirconia on the thick surface against the soft tissue itself. And when you do that, and when you autoclave it and clean it properly, you actually get soft tissue adhesion to the neck of the implant, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. So allow me to break this down a little bit more. I know we're going a bit more advanced, sure. but it's actually really relevant for what we're talking about. He yeah. did one study where he did a um, where he did a, a restored single implant crowns, okay, using zirconia. On half of the fit surface against the soft tissue, he used his zero bone loss concepts, which is highly polished, no glaze, okay? On the other half of the same implant, he used glaze over the surface, and he fit it. Clever. And six months later, he probed around that implant, okay? The average probing depth of the polished area was one to two millimeters. The average probing depth around the glazed area was two to four millimeters. So wow. you can actually get adhesion of the soft tissue onto the surface of an implant if you do it properly. So I think it's also important to know what material has been used, okay? Because if it's a PFM, you're not going to get that adhesion. You need to be much more gentle with your probing technique. The other thing that you can do as well is if you're going around is as you put the probe in, you take it out and you wipe the probe clean with a clean gauze. So you're not transferring bacteria from one position of an implant to another. Wow. Okay. But that is a dedication. Yeah, that's dedication. But, you know, that, that's something that I heard. But then I thought, to the, you know, then I was thinking to myself, you know, you're talking about not transferring bacteria from one part to the, of an implant to the other. It's still sat underneath the implant. It's still a problem, yeah. right? So it's, uh, and this is why I'm saying that, that there's no 100% there's no correct answer. But I think what you need to do is you need to look at the radiograph and make an appropriate decision. If you see that lollipop on a stick, you're not going to get to the neck. Forget about it. If it looks like a really nice, what we call emergence profile, that really nice soft flowing type, type thing, then you think to yourself, yeah, I'll gently probe this. And to be honest is if I have um, uh, like my own uh, implant crowns now, the zirconia ones, I'm less bothered about probing them because I know I'm going to get soft tissue adhesion. So I look at the adjacent teeth as well, right? So if the patient's mm. cleaning everything really, really, really well, you're unlikely to have a problem with the implant. So don't take the implant as a standalone thing. Look at everything else around it as well. Well, before we now come on to the, the radiograph, because you, you, you touched on that, and that was the next question about the, the thread exposure and what is a normal amount of bone loss. Before I get to that, I mean, when you find, if and when you find bleeding, uh, when you're doing the probing around implant, I think that lends itself to a diagnosis of peri-implant mucositis. And I believe pus would mean peri... I, I know it might not be a hard and fast rule, but pus usually, from what I've been taught and I've read, peri-implantitis. Peri um, should I be referring to someone who is more clever than me in implants every time I diagnose peri-implant mucositis, just bleeding, or just simple local measures, uh, improving OH is enough? Or do you think I should be actually sending them back to the dentist? Like peri-implantitis with pus, I definitely would be uh, not, I would not be ignoring that. Yeah, local measures. So improve the oral hygiene, um, explain to the patient what's going on, and just treat it like a perio case. So you, you monitor it over, over uh, and, and you reassess it over a number of months. Um, 
and it is it is really important that the patient improves because the other issue that you have is is the crown cement retained and is it cement underneath that's causing this in which case no amount of oral mm. hygiene is actually going to do this and what the data shows is if you do a cement retained crown and you can't get rid of the cement the the cement may cause an issue seven to eight years later sometimes it's not straight away so you know a lot of people are doing well. There's nothing wrong with cement retained crowns, and you look at this, you look at this paper, and it goes, oh yeah, you know what? After three years, cement retained crowns have got no issues. It's like yeah, but the periimplant cementitis can be triggered seven or eight years after when you actually cemented it. So I think it's important mm -hmm. to see whether there's a screw access in it. If there's a screw access in it, then you know it's screw retained. If there's no screw access in it, it just looks like a normal crown, then it's cement retained. And then we come back to the original issue that we spoke about. Is if you've got this lollipop type thing being able to get a probe in towards the neck of the implant to get rid of all of the cement never it's not going to happen there will there will 100 percent be cement there so when you have uh, just a little bit of local inflammation um by all means start um uh, start 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 local measures first really good oh there are some products um called blue m okay i think that there's a mouthwash there's a gel they actually work really nicely they are oxygenating they've got oxygen in it and it it, it, okay. it alters okay. the bio uh, the biofilm for uh, to be more favorable and what you should notice is once you implement those measures it should it should maintain like with gingivitis you may get the odd flare up now and again but you shouldn't have anything persistent Perf, for me, your word is gospel. There's, you know, for me, you're the guy who, um, there's, you know, if you don't know something, it's not worth knowing when it comes to implants. So I, I, I will definitely look into that product for to help my uh, patients supportively. But on to question two now. When you see a radiograph of an implant, let's say a periapical, uh, and I, I don't know when this implant was done. I can ask the patient. The patient's like, uh, long time ago, five years ago, ten years ago. They give me a, a vague answer. But anyway, am I expecting ever? Is it acceptable to have threads exposed? supracrestal, i.e. Um, all the threads are not in the bone. Some of the threads are outside the bone. Is this um, acceptable? And, and, and B, what amount of bone loss is normal? Because I, I understand that after you place an implant, after about a year, you expect to lose some. In in you know, you're probably going to say, yes, but I do all this uh, uh, crazy voodoo magic that they don't lose any bone. But for the average uh, <laughs> implant, uh, what is normal in terms of uh, bone loss? So historically, what, what's been considered uh, acceptable is, as a rule of thumb, bone loss down to the first thread, then about 0.2 millimeters per year. Uh, as you quite rightly said, that is, is the, the modern techniques and the modern concepts we really shouldn't be seeing anything at all. But you know what? I see loads of patients where they come in uh, to see me where they've had implants placed 20 years ago. Okay, and I think I think the issue is is in the absence in the absence of any inflammatory responses like what we've discussed about before. If there's no bleeding, there's no suppuration, the implant's been there 20 years. If you've got a 15, 18 millimeter long implant, or you've got three millimeters of, of threads exposed, I'm really not bothered about it, okay? If an mm -hmm. implant was placed last year and I've got three millimeters of, of threads exposed, all of a sudden I am bothered about it. So I think it very much, very much depends on the case. Um, and with regards to how many threads are acceptable to be supracrestal, again, that depends on the implant, okay? Because some implants like the Southern that I use, the top three or four threads, it's actually a machined surface. So if there are mm -hmm. threads exposed, it's not really, it's not really that, that impactful. It's not really that significant. But if you had an implant such as Nobel, Nobel, they integrate nicely. But if you look at the surface topography of them, it's tiny little caves. 
So what happens is as soon as that's exposed and you start to get inflammation, it zips down the surface of the implant. So it depends mm -hmm. as to the surface treatment of the implant. As a general rule of thumb, you should see a bone loss down to the, down to the first uh, thread in the first year. But even then, I wouldn't be overly happy with that. But I think if you're taking consecutive radiographs and you see everything's nice and stable, then why should we bother and intervent and do something, right? If you're taking PAs once a year and over a five-year period, you, you, you know, if, if in year one you've had two millimeters bone loss and no bone loss since then, it's, it's a stable outcome. But if every single year you're losing one millimeter, half a minute, that's obviously then an issue. We need to intervene and do something. So again, I'm sorry, it's not a, you know, clear cut, but... Oh, nothing's clear cut, but that's a useful guideline, Pav. I really appreciate that because it's a bit like our, our periodontal patients. Age is a factor and in, in obviously age of teeth, uh, in your case, age of implants, we, we can apply similar uh, logic to that. So that makes uh, perfect sense. And I think that will help uh, the protrusorality listing and, and the, the, the... Have you got a word for the Dental Implant Podcast listeners? Have, have, have your, have your uh, listeners, have they got like a, a fan word? I've I, I I've used I've used the term titani nerds a few times. <laughs> Say that again, titani nerds. Titani nerds, yeah. <laughs> Okay, I love it. Titani nerds. Okay, so protrusorati, titani nerds, uh, titani nerds. I hope you're getting uh, so, so, some value from that. Uh, I, I imagine the titani nerds, are, I just know all of this stuff already, but maybe someone who's interested in implants and start into, interested in getting into implants, and this might be helpful because they're seeing patients and they're helping to maintain implants, which is what this episode is about. So my last question is now that uh, emergency phone call you get, uh, the nurse says, uh, or the reception says, okay, there's a patient with a loose implant. The first time I had this, um, this is embarrassing, the first time I had this, the DF1 uh, patient came in uh, and the, the, the crown was spinning. And in my head, I thought, wow, this is, this is like a grade three mobile tooth. I don't know. I think the implant's spinning. So I called my uh, trainer and I said, hey, um, hey, Reg, I, th I, think the, I think the implants are like uh, fully loose, but the, the x-ray looks okay. What's going on? And he just like took, 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 took out the, the access cavity restoration, just tightened it by a quarter turn. And, and that was it. And I was like, wow, that was so easy. And then later on, when I got to do this, uh, one of the implant dentists told me that, Jazz, you, you know, I read your notes, you tightened it too tight. And I'm like, I didn't know. What was, what was I supposed to tighten it to? Because uh, that's what Nobel taught me when I went on a course once. So A, uh, do you think all general dentists should know how to manage this emergency? And B, uh, any guidelines, any helpful things that you can tell us? Uh, is there a standardized number of Newtons that we're tightening to, for example? Is the kit standardized? Do, am, I, am I expected to have all these kits? So this, this, this is a real bugbear and it's a real pain in the backside for me because there are literally hundreds, if not thousands of different implant systems out there. They all use different screw heads. They all use different torques. It can be due to a number of different problems. Uh, it could be screw loosening. It could be what's called the titanium base that's come loose. It could be the hex that's threaded. It could be the implant head that's fractured. And it's, you're basically taking a shot in the dark with this type of stuff. Mm. Um, what I would probably recommend to a general dentist who doesn't place implants, the only thing that you should really be looking at doing is at the most is tightening it finger tight and then sending it to somebody else to deal with. Okay. Because I had a patient come out to see me. So what I never do is I never just retighten screws, always have to order a brand new screw. Okay. So I've had a couple of patients recently come out to see me. The, the work's absolutely beautiful. Uh, it's come loose. So what I'll do is I'll, I'll hand tighten it. I'll say to them, I've got to order new screws. I'm going to swap the screws over. Because screws become stressed and they become strained. That may be one of the reasons why it's, why it's come loose. <clears throat> and if you retighten 
a strange screw, you can you can cause it to break, then you're in trouble because you may not be able to mm-hmm. retrieve it from the implant head. So you only want to tighten it uh, to uh, to finger tightness, and then uh, you what you want to refer it on somebody else to deal with. So the issue that you have is certain systems like like Ankylos, they're quite happy to take 15 to 20 newton centimeters. The southern implants that I use take 40 newton centimeters. If you get it wrong, you're going to give yourself a problem. So you need to know exactly which system it is. And there are, have been a number of occasions where I haven't known what system it is and I've had to take an educated shot in the dark. And that's all that I can mm-hmm. do. So the answer to that question is, is are you going to see it? Yes, you are. Okay. And I think an, another big aspect uh, and another big problem that, that, that this is caused by is very frequently when dentists get the lab work back from the lab, they'll use the same screw that the lab's been using. They won't mm-hmm. order a new mm-hmm. screw. And, I, and I'd say historically, that's what I used to do because I didn't know any better. But people are like, why should I spend another 40, 50 quid on a new screw and all that when there's one that's here? Thing is, the lab's been screwing it on and off, on and off, and that screw's strained. It's not, it's not appropriate for use anymore. So this is, a, this is something that Riaz and I discussed in our podcast as well, is the lab should order a brand new lab screw and you should get a brand new prosthetic screw for every single case not be reusing impression copings you should not be reusing uh, lab analogs you should not be reusing healing abutments everything should be fresh brand new for every single case the other issue that you can have remember we, we spoke about this uh, this lollipop type appearance on a number of occasions yep so the, another issue that you have is particularly in monocytes is if you've got a narrow implant which has had a small healing abutment on it and the lab is they're trying to create some sort of contour to the crown quite often the lab will put on a little bit of compression onto the gums to try to give it some sort of um, uh, contour as it's coming out. And what happens is as you're talking it down, let's say you're talking it down to 35 Newton centimeters, that compression is going onto the soft tissue, not onto the actual interface itself. So Mm -hmm. you get patients back quite quickly with loose crowns. Yeah, because all that's happening is the soft tissue is getting compressed, but uh, the the screw is not engaging uh, where it should be, right? Yeah, so the, the screw's not fully seated. It's partly seated. And sometimes you get away with it, but a lot of the times you don't. So the, so my protocol is, A, make sure that the crown's completely passive as it's going in. I will then talk my uh, my abutment to whatever talk it is, depending on which implant it is that I'm using. I will then wait 10 minutes, and then I will retalk it. Because retalking after 10 minutes makes sure that everything's really nice and secure. Uh, amazing but I, I, that makes perfect sense but i think the 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 message for someone like me uh, which i took away from that uh is um if in doubt which i'll always be in doubt because i don't know which system was used uh, i'm gonna finger tighten it and send it uh back to the the the, the person if i don't know who, the, who you know what, what brand of implant is and i've got my um implant placing dentist who comes in you know once a week you know they can easily deal with that and 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 i'm sure they'd be grateful that they get an opportunity to properly deal with that um however they would you know like you would so i think finger tightening is something that um a lot of dentists can do and and the drivers uh the universal ones are they as universal as the name suggests no no they're not they're just called universal drivers but they're just oh my goodness it depends what uh, what extent you want to go to. You can get little kids kits for about three four hundred quid, which you've got loads of different drivers in, and you just try whichever one. So the case that I had today, I knew which implant brand it had, but when it was originally placed, it was over torched, so the head of the screw had stripped. 
So getting it on and off was really, so even with the correct driver, getting it on and off was, was really difficult. Okay. So you can have, you can have 0.9 drivers. You can have 1.2 millimeters drivers. You can have 1.22 millimeter drivers. Strammen have got their own driver. Um, uh, Nobel have got their own driver. Uh, Neodent, they've made their driver similar to Nobel. It's called the Unigrip driver. <laughs> Okay, but Nobel's Unigrip driver and Neodent's Uni driver, they look almost identical, but they don't fit in the same way. If all companies said we're going to have a standardized universal driver, that'd be one of the best things ever. But it's just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Just like Apple's not going to switch to, to USB-C and uh, get rid of their white thing in the buggy that you have to buy. Uh, it's just not going to happen. And uh, you can see why. But uh, mate, that has been so helpful. So we have covered in this episode probing. Can you probe? Yes, you can, but take a look at the radio first because those lollipop ones, uh, good luck. It ain't happening. Uh, threads that are exposed, kind of like perio. Um, you have to, depends on the patient's age or i.e. the implant age, not the patient age, the age of the implant, and that should guide you. Uh, and the loose implant, perhaps consider finger tightening it and sending it back to someone who can deal with it in a more comprehensive manner like you would. Um, so, Petrusrati, I, I know you would have found that helpful. Um, Titanium Nerds, I hope you did because you guys are like, you know, you've been following Pav. Pav's taught you so much already. Um, so, you know, we could have easily gone on for like five hours talking about each minutia. You just have so much knowledge in there that I want to extract. But please, for those uh, people who haven't heard your podcast, Pav, tell us, uh, remind us how you can listen, how you can tune in, uh, and what's next on the horizon for your podcast. So it's uh, the Dental Implant Podcast on um, Spotify, uh, iTunes, and Google Podcasts. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously... Um, inspired by yourself, Jazz. You know, I'm, I've, I've said this before. You know, you're the one that said to me, "Pav, you got a lot of knowledge. You need to get it out there." Um, so it, it, it's aimed at kind of like uh, beginners and those kind of like partway through the implant training pathway. There is stuff on there for more knowledgeable people, but. They, they tend to know a lot of this stuff already. Um, and I just cover so many different topics. I mean, as you said, you know, I, I, I could write a lecture just on screws, uh, which, which mm -hmm. could last two or three hours. I can then write a lecture on how to tighten screws for another two hours. So, you know, it's, it goes into a With lot. all the complications in there and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, how to, how to avoid complications and, you know, what, what, we, what we should and what we shouldn't be doing, what, you know, taking apart uh, the, the bad science, et cetera. So I'm, I just try to uh, – and, it, again, I always say, look, it's my perspective. You know, this, this is how I do things. This is, this is my interpretation of the data. You don't have to agree with it. You don't have to like it. You know, but as you, as you know, you, know it's, you can take one topic and you'll get two people arguing both sides of the coin. They're both right. You know, so it's just – but I just want to help uh, people deliver better care for their patients – uh, this is one of the reasons why, um, you know, I, I, I mentor pe uh, people as well. So when people say, Pav, I want to learn how to place immediate molar implants. It's like, fine, not a problem. Let's show you how to do it and bring your patients to me. This is why we do, um, this is why we do the Evo experience at, at Evo Dental. Well, you just come shadow us for a day, see what we do. Uh, because before I started at Evo Dental, I thought I was proficient at full arches. But what we do there is just, I, I wouldn't do a, a full arch externally because uh, just because of the way that the place is set up. So I'm, I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm very passionate about dental implants and trying to help others uh, be just as passionate and, and, and get better outcomes for their patients. Because, you know, it goes back to what we were, what, what we were discussing today, you know, is if I can teach dentists how to develop emergence profile properly, 
You're not going to have these issues. If I can teach them how to place crowds properly and have soft tissue adhesion to the neck of it, we're not going to have these issues in the future. So, you know, it's, that, that's, that, that's just my passion. That's the reason why I'm doing it, basically. And, and if, if anyone needed one more reason to listen to uh, Pav's podcast, uh, he, he hired Morgan Freeman to do the intro. Can you believe it? He, he got Morgan Freeman to do the introduction. Uh, you see, if you haven't listened to it, you have to listen to it right now. Scroll on, go on Spotify, type in the Dental Impact Podcast, listen to the intro. You will love it. Uh, Pav, thank you so much for giving you... <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for giving me your time really appreciate it thanks for all your mentorship and help and I, and I think everyone I gained so much value I know what to do a little bit more now around those three scenarios which confuse me every time uh, so I'm not going to no longer going to have my head in the sand now um, really appreciate it and hope you have a fantastic weekend <laughs>